Hey everybody, Jimmy Smith. On today's Unlocking the Cage podcast, we tackle the question, can Bobby Green become the next Jorge Masvidal or Nate Diaz with the win over Islam Makachev? Also, I sit down with senior ESPN writer Don Vanetta Jr. to discuss the big stories in the NFL. Bobby Green's big moment. So we were doing um, our show calls, we always do, and... One thing I said about him, and this is, you know, the kickoff for this whole discussion is this is his Jorge Masvidal, Nate Diaz moment, where he could become with a win over Islam Makachev. And also, I do not see him winning a decision. Five rounders, short notice, Islam Makachev's wrestling heavy style. I will say, if he wins, he knocks him out. It would be akin to Nate Diaz defeating Conor McGregor. It would be akin, not exactly, but akin to, um, I would say, Jorge Masvidal on the flying knee knockout over Ben Askren, right? Where we all went, whoa, this journeyman or somebody with a record that isn't great suddenly does great things, big fan, favorite, all this stuff, and suddenly he's up amongst the elite. It'd be a big moment for him, right? So, uh, this is Bobby Green. From the UFC's media day about Islam Makachev and what he brings. Let's hit it. With Islam, he does what he does. But to be honest, it's kind of boring. You know, even if he getting finishes, it's still been boring. And so my whole, whole thing is entertainment, excitement, you know. Um, so he can be championship material, but it's just fucking boring. Nobody wants to see it. Nobody cares. I fall asleep watching his fights. And then it's like, oh, there's the finish. And like, so they can show a bunch of finishes, which is cool. But it was sleeping. It was boring. It was, it's lackluster. Some of these guys, it's just a match, you know? It's just about the win. Everybody just wants to win. And that's cool for those guys. That's never been my intentions. I never really cared about winning. I cared about entertaining. I cared about my style. I cared about what type of shit I'm putting out. Fun stuff. Entertaining stuff. Here's my question, since I have you on the hook here, Kelly. How many elite fighters, champions, perennial contenders, contenders, whatever, have the attitude of Bobby Green? I don't care about winning. I care about. Would you put him in that class of contender, one and two in the UFC? No. You know, I didn't before he was in the UFC either. (laughs) Yeah. So that's the issue. Is I'm not saying it's not entertaining. It's not fun. I love watching him. I've, I've, I've. Once again, I called this fight in Affliction, right? When he first got into the big time, I called that fight um, against Dan Lazan. It's, it's one of those things where champions generally don't have that attitude. Contenders who can really win generally don't have that attitude. Man, I just want to have exciting fights. Okay, great. I'll put you in the same bucket as, once again, Joe Lazan, Clay Guida. Love that guy to death. These fan favorites. Who have excited Derek, you know, Derek Lewis, great, I want to have exciting fights. That's why you'll never be champion. Because sometimes an exciting fight gets you beat. And it gets you beat severely. And against Islam Makachev, that attitude will get you beat. Does Nate Diaz have that attitude? Yes. Does Hori Masvidal have that attitude? Yes. Have either one of those guys ever won gold? No. Not in the UFC. 
Nate had one title fight against Benson Henderson. He got owned. He lost all five rounds of that one. So there's this second level of commitment and intensity in a certain way that mid-level fighters who make a decent amount of money often have the attitude of Bobby Green. Right? Some guys have a whole career having exciting fights, and that's great. And Boxing, we have Arturo Gotti and Mickey Ward and da-da-da-da-da. If I made a top 30 at 147 pounds, I probably wouldn't put Arturo Gotti in it, or 140, whatever. Okay? I wouldn't put him in it. He was good, not great. I had exciting fights. Would have paid to watch him every single time. But Mickey Ward was not a great fighter who could beat great fighters. He wasn't. He was an entertaining fighter. But there's a ceiling on those kind of guys, and we're going to find out that ceiling on Saturday. Now, Bobby Green does have skills, can maybe land the big punch and and, and put him out. Certainly possible. But I'm telling you, from freaking whatever I was, 24 years in the sport, I almost kind of threw up in my mouth saying that, I have seen people with Bobby Green's attitude just hit a certain point they don't get past because they want to be exciting more than they want to be great. And unfortunately, being one doesn't always mean being the other. Every The reason like John Jones and Anderson Silva were so and are so, in the case of John Jones, so different is they were able to meld both, where they had super exciting, entertaining fights at the elite level. GSP and Khabib, who are the other half of my Mount Rushmore of MMA, didn't always have the most exciting fight. Because they knew in order to win, they couldn't do that. Against Tiago Alves, George St. Pierre didn't go out there slinging bombs looking for the knockout. He took the safe route nine times out of ten. Well, that's why his career was so good. Same thing with Khabib. So when you look at it that way, that great fighters, all-time great fighters, choose winning over being exciting. Bobby Green will almost always choose being exciting over winning, and that can only go so far with that. So that's what sets up Saturday to be. That's what sets up Saturday. He's going to go out there and try to be exciting. And against Islam Akhachev, where you got to be super patient, that might not work. So the things he's saying about Islam Makhachev. Let me go over it. Submission over Dan Hooker, 2 minutes, 25 seconds of round one. Thiago Moises. Submission, rear naked choke, uh, fourth round, two minutes, 38 seconds. Drew Dober, arm triangle choke, minute, 37 seconds into round three. Davi Hamos, who's a world-class grappler. He won by unanimous decision. So when you look at it that way, he has been finishing guys who weren't world-class on the ground like Davi Hamos is world-class on the ground. Uh, Are they boring? I don't think so. Do you remember the Drew Dober fight, KOB? He whooped Drew Dober's ass. Bad, that whole fight, and then finished him. Same thing with Thiago Moises. Yeah, they were into round four, but it was a one-sided journey to round four. Dan Hooker was the first guy he, like, blew out of the water, you know, take down, pass guard, submit. The others, there was some beaten down going on in those fights. I didn't consider them boring at all. Now, what fighters mean and what they think and what they say are often different. You're trying to get under the skin of your opponent and make them fight differently. You want a guy like Islam Makachev pissed off, get in there, I'm going to knock this guy's teeth out, do something stupid and get clipped. If Islam fights ice cold and smart, he wins. 
he wins. He fights ice cold and smart, he wins. Bobby's not a fool. He knows that if I can get him emotionally wrapped up in winning, I got a better chance. Don't see it happening. But you have to see that behind Bobby Green's comments. I'm not saying he doesn't mean them. He may think Islam Makachev is boring. I didn't see boring fights in any of those. One-sided for sure. But, you know, not boring. When you armbar Gleason Tebow, very, very tough, in 57 seconds. I don't know how you see that as boring. Same thing with Kajan Johnson. First round submission. He gets it done, man. He really does. And maybe it's because I'm a ground guy, and I appreciate that a little bit more than everybody else, but I have no problem with it at all. Does Bobby Green have a problem with it? I don't know. He could just be saying that. Is Bobby Green a star with the win on Saturday, or will it take more than that? I personally, from where I am sitting, see all the pieces. Fans love him. He stepped up late. He has a fan-pleasing kind of style. He has a I-don't-give-an-F attitude. He's a great talker when it comes to that vein, right? He has everything in his arsenal, but, and also has a physique. He's a good-looking guy, right? He has everything except that big win that separates the, the, the wheat from the chaff. Nate had the Connor win. Jorge Masvidal, depends on how you feel about it. What, what, what was this crossover moment? I would say the Ben Askren flying knee, although the win over Darren Till I thought was more significant, but the Ben Askren five-second you know, flying knee knockout, the Whole Foods, all this stuff about it, okay, super necessary, all of it came from that. That win kind of put him over the top. He had that moment. Bobby Green's moment potentially is Saturday, and I would argue – that that win would be bigger than anything Jorge Masvidal, Masvidal did on his three-fight winning streak, which, was remember, was Darren Till, uh, Ben Askren, and Nate Diaz. None of those guys are contenders right now. They haven't done anything significant since that fight. Ben's retired, okay? So the way I look at it, a win over Islam Makachev, who is right now steamrolling through the division, is more difficult and should mean more than any of those wins. So the way I say it, he's primed for that crossover moment. Do all of you agree that with the win, he enters that class of star? Busted Open is your daily home for all things pro wrestling. Join Dave LaGreca, WWE Hall of Famers, Bully Ray and Mark Henry, and hardcore wrestling legend Tommy Dreamer. Dave LaGreca here. From WWE to AEW, Impact, New Japan, Ring of Honor, and more, we talk it all. Whether you grew up watching Ric Flair or Stone Cold Steve Austin, Busted Open is your place for pro wrestling. Busted Open, Mondays through Saturdays at 9 a.m. East on Fight Nation, Sirius XM Channel 156. We have a very special guest, one hell of a Domino's player, as well as a great reporter for ESPN, Don Venata Jr. How you doing, Don? Doing great, Jimmy. How are you today? Fantastic, man. Thanks for making time for so much to talk about. I texted you right when this broke a couple weeks ago. I couldn't wait to have you on to talk about the Brian Flores lawsuit, which I am obsessed with in so many ways because it just highlights so many things about the league, the NFL, of course, um, that I find interesting. The background for people who don't know, Brian Flores, of course, uh, is suing the NFL 
claiming that, among other things, that uh, the Rooney Rule is being ignored or violated routinely, that African-American coaches aren't given a fair shake, not giving coaching opportunities at all, and that he was paid to lose games. Did I I capture everything about right, Yes, (laughs) you've covered it. That's it. That's a very, very good summation, Jimmy. Absolutely. You you uh, were the producer of a fantastic show about the Chicago Black Sox scandal. Now, I want you to explain to me, like I am a six-year-old, how a gangster <laughs> paying a player $100,000 to lose a game is a crime you will go to prison for, and an owner paying a coach to lose a game isn't game-fixing that would have the same uh, consequences. Explain it to me. Yeah, that's right. Well, because the owners own the game, the owners decide what's going to be investigated and what may not be investigated. I mean, the allegation here, Jimmy, you're right. The most incendiary allegation that Brian Flores made against Stephen Ross, the owner of the Dolphins, is that he was offered $100,000 per game that he was purposely going to lose to get a better draft pick. Now, the NFL, to be fair, is investigating that allegation. They have to investigate an allegation like that because if it's true, it costs Stephen Ross the team. That's how serious that allegation is. You cannot have owners offering head coaches cash to throw games. That will not be tolerated even in the NFL. But but this is now being investigated, and it is – I don't know whether there's evidence of it or not, uh, I know that it's a hell of an allegation Flores has made. I don't know whether he has the receipts or not, but that is currently being investigated. And, and it's so serious, as I said, it could cost Stephen Ross ownership of the Dolphins. That is interesting. But the question that, that keeps coming into my head is if he had said Al Capone offered me $100,000, the FBI right. comes in. Why is it different when it's an owner as opposed to a private citizen fixing a game? That's a federal crime, as you know. Yeah, I do. And I don't know whether that's being investigated by the authorities or not, Jimmy. It gets to the point which actually takes you into the Dan Snyder investigation as well. The NFL does not have a good record of investigating owners for allegations that either could be criminal in nature or or not. Uh, look at the Dan Snyder investigation. That investigation right. was done by a law firm, by Beth Wilkinson. Snyder controls whether or not the report on that investigation will be released. Uh, he still owns the team. And here you do have the NFL investigating it, but there are some fans, of course, questioning, you know, how serious will this investigation be? Because He's a member of the club. Stephen Ross is one of 32 owners of the NFL. And, you know, we've certainly seen in the past that they are not always investigated as aggressively, certainly not nearly as aggressively as players who step up outside the lines are investigated. Uh, speaking, of course, to Don Vanetta Jr., senior writer for ESPN. We also get to spend holidays together, which is awesome. So uh, the other side of the question that I have about this, and you made a beautiful transition, and I love it. Uh, of course, the Snyder investigation uncovered emails from John Gruden that cost him his position with the Raiders. How hard... Do you think the NFL will fight discovery in a situation like this? Because it seems like, and I'll take a hit for this too, in MMA as well, 
every time you lift up a rock, you're going to find racism, misogyny, making fun of cheerleaders, all this stuff the NFL wants to move past. Every time they lift up a rock, they find it. How bad will the NFL fight lifting up the rocks in discovery in an investigation like this? They, they are fighting extremely hard, and, and they are fighting against a House committee on Capitol Hill that wants to know everything they can find out about that particular investigation. But you're absolutely right, Jimmy. There's 650,000 emails that were produced as part of the investigation that uh, Beth Wilkinson's law firm did of the Washington football team, now the Washington commanders. Uh, the NFL has no interest in those emails coming out. Uh, most of them were sent by Bruce Allen, then the president of the team, to various people. Uh, you lift up that rock, and who knows what's there? And, of course, the argument is, well, that's not really fair to John Gruden, right? Because the emails that John Gruden exchanged with Bruce Allen were selectively leaked last October, and it cost Gruden his job, his $10 million a year head coaching job for the Raiders, and he's now suing and the NFL and attempting and the Raiders and attempting to get some of that money uh, from his contract. I think it's about $60 million roughly that he's owed, but the NFL is fighting tooth and nail against any of those emails coming out and they're up against Congress. And so it'll be very interesting to see how it plays out. There's a house committee that is um, hell bent on getting to the bottom of that investigation. And there will be additional hearings as I understand it in the coming weeks. And so I'll just have to see how it plays out. The difficulty here, uh, in my opinion, and, and please correct me, please educate me on this subject, um, one of my favorite expressions is no single raindrop blames itself for the flood, right? And it seems with the Flores uh, lawsuit, we have that, where each individual team can say why they didn't hire a black coach. The league is 70% African-American. They have one black coach, Mike Tomlin of the Pittsburgh Steelers, where you know what I mean? Each individual entity can give you a reason why, but taken in total, it's pretty astonishing, right? How do we connect those two sides? Yeah, I don't know how that's going to play out, yeah. Jimmy. I, it's, it's hard for me to educate you on that only because I don't know what's going to happen with mm -hmm. this lawsuit. Um, you know, as you know, Flores is suing three teams, not just the Dolphins. You're right that the NFL and the Rooney rule, they know Roger Goodell and the people in the league office on Park Avenue know they have a problem. It's not just an optics problem. It's a legitimate problem, as you said, with 70 percent of the players who are black and there's only one head coach. It's Mike Tomlin, by the way, who just hired Brian Flores to be an assistant on yes. his staff, uh, and, you know, which is which is a great move by Tomlin. But I, I don't the, the Let's put it this way. The NFL has got a big problem. There have been discussions that Roger Goodell has had with various black leaders. I know he met with Al Sharpton a, a week or so ago. Uh, they're trying to make all the right moves. They want to retool the Rooney rule. Obviously, the Rooney rule is an abject failure. And so we'll just have to see how it plays out. But the backdrop of it is a lawsuit where there, if it moves forward, there will be discovery. And you got to believe that that discovery and at least three teams, front offices, if there is anything to the Brian Flores allegations, I'm assuming that they're worried about where that discovery will take the lawyers you know, as they search for the truth. What can Roger Goodell do? Because I'm sure behind the scenes when he's discussing this, I can meet with Al Sharpton. I can do whatever I want, but I can't make owners hire a black coach. I can't put a gun to their head. Is there frustration behind the scenes about – 
his ability or anyone's ability to solve this problem from what you're hearing? I detect that there is. So uh, absolutely. And, and, and as I said, they know they have a problem. I think this is going to be a subject at the next league meeting that will be occurring in the spring. It's going to be a big subject uh, behind closed doors that the owners have to figure this out. But you're right, Jimmy. You know, oftentimes the league says these are club matters, right? Um, yeah. You know, just the story that I did recently about the Dallas Cowboys and this voyeurism allegation, you know, that the NFL is not going to investigate it. Brian McCarthy, the, a spokesman for the league, said it's a club matter and the club handled it. So you're right that this is not something that they can dictate to the clubs. And so it's a it's it's a very difficult, very prickly issue for from at the league level of how to deal with it. But they but they're aware it's a major problem. And as I said, not just optically. And uh, there certainly will be a major topic of discussion at the league meetings this spring. Speaking of Don Van Anna, senior writer at ESPN, uh, this idea, and I, I loved your story, by the way, uh, that you broke on ESPN about a $2.4 million settlement to, uh, to settle from the Cowboys to their cheerleaders about a senior team executive filming them while changing in the locker. Um, the, the timing on this couldn't be any worse for this coming out, but is there a sense of that that the league has to change or these attitudes have to change or it's going to cost us too much and in this era we can't afford that is there a a, a sense of not the monetary cost but the cost of the reputation of the NFL with a story like this well yeah i mean that that is you you put your finger on it the timing for the league is is not good at all considering that we just had testimony with that house committee that we were talking about uh, investigating Dan Snyder and the Washington commanders, where you had a former cheerleader making an allegation that uh, Snyder himself sexually harassed her. And that is now being investigated by the NFL. So just coming on the heels of that, you know, my story drops. It's obviously it's America's team. It's the Dallas Cowboys that quietly paid this confidential settlement of $2.4 million to four cheerleaders who alleged that, a senior executive, and not just a senior executive, Jimmy, but Richard Dalrymple, who was a the right-hand man of Jerry Jones, you know, a longtime fixer and confidant of Jerry, who had been employed by the Cowboys since 1990. He was the executive who used a security key card to enter the locked cheerleaders' dressing room while four young women were in there changing, and one of the cheerleaders – noticed him pointing his iPhone at her horizontally while she was in a state of undress several minutes after she heard a door open and close. And so we broke that story and the timing couldn't be worse for certainly for the Cowboys who worry that that committee on Capitol Hill will be interested uh, enough in our story and try to get the four cheerleaders uh, to appear before them and testify before this committee that could happen. I'm hearing they're, they've read our story, and they, they may try to do that. And so, yeah, the timing couldn't be worse for both the Cowboys and the NFL. Um, I saw a documentary a couple years back about financial crimes, and it was about the scandal at Wells Fargo and the loans they were giving out and all this stuff. And, and so the whistleblower in that case was interviewed and asked, are you worried you won't be able to find another job in finance? Her response was, how bad do you think finance is that I'll uphold the law and not be able to find a job? I never forgot that. The idea that yeah. people are saying 
Brian Flores screwed his career by doing this. Is that an indictment of the league itself? That attitude of, well, he'll never get hired again. Is that an indictment of the league and the way people perceive the league, whether it's true or not? That's a great question, Jimmy. That's All I really, ask are great really questions, question. Don. It's what you I really do, man. do. No, that in particular. <laughs> no, because that, no, that is really the, the money question right now. Because certainly if you look at the past, and you, you've got to look at the league's history on this. Colin Kaepernick. Colin Kaepernick took a knee. He, he, he spoke out, and many people believe he was blackballed by the league, never to play again because he was a thorn in the league's side. Ray Rice, uh, look at the Ray Rice situation. He was suspended. He spoke out against Roger Goodell. He never took another snap. So there's a history of players who speak out in a way that the NFL doesn't like that never play again. So that is what I think informed a lot of the conversation around what Brian Flores was doing, that by speaking out, by being a crusader, uh, and, and, and literally indicting what he sees as an injustice, that's pretty hard to argue against what Brian Flores is saying. I mean, the statistics, you know, are so striking here when there's only one black head coach uh, of 32 teams. And, and, and when you really drill down and look carefully at the facts that he's alleging, if true, then, yeah, I mean, you look at the past, it, it shapes your opinion of what happens here with Brian Flores. And, and there's, there's no doubt that there was, there was a suspicion and a feeling that he would never be a head coach again. And so far, that suspicion is well-placed. He's an assistant coach with uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers. He was in line for a couple of other head coaching jobs, as you know, Jimmy, and didn't get, didn't get either of those jobs, literally at the same time as he filed the lawsuit, by the way. And so, you know, we'll see if uh, you ever see Brian Flores on a sideline as a head coach again in the NFL. My last question. I know you got to go. Don't we have limited time? Uh, if we're watching this case, and as you said, the, the Congress itself is looking at the sport timetable wise, what's the next step? What are you expecting? I think that we are going to see likely in the, in the coming weeks, uh, another hearing uh, on the Hill on this, at this, with this house committee. Uh, I don't know whether they're going to get the four cheerleaders that I wrote about uh, up there. Uh, if they're going to get other witnesses related to the Washington football team, perhaps they will be looking uh, at, at the Brian Flores situation. I know they're interested in that as well. I can tell you that one thing I know they're very interested in is the NFL and individual teams' uses of non-disclosure agreements um, to shield alleged wrongdoing. And so the, the use of NDAs, and I saw that in the Dallas Cowboys cheerleader story that I reported on for ESPN, is something that I think we're going to be hearing more about in the coming weeks um, and, and something that the House Committee will be looking very carefully at. I appreciate your work. Thank you so much for making time for us, Don. Don Van Natta, senior writer at ESPN. Thank you so much, man. Thank you, Jimmy. Anytime. Always fun to be with you. Appreciate it. Unlocking the Cage with Jimmy Smith is part of the SiriusXM Podcast Network. The executive producer is Michael Russo. The associate producer is Kelly Murphy. Sound design by Nuri Balin. Special thanks to SiriusXM's Senior Vice President of Sports Programming and Podcasting, Steve Cohen, and SiriusXM Fight Nation Program Director, Marissa Rivas. SiriusXM Podcasts.